Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we're going to be running a solo episode. And the topic I'm going to look into is about the topic of developing a learning culture. So this is something that was quite interesting to me, because as many of you who are regular listeners will know, my background was 20 odd years in learning and development, in corporate learning and development roles. But since then, I've been involved much more in performance management, working more directly with HR directors and uh, other sort of broader HR responsibilities. So I felt a little bit disconnected from learning. But then very recently, we've got back into that space because we've been launching a new learning management product and um, associated modules. So I felt I wanted to know more about it. And as we've been researching, with we try to keep in touch with our connections and understand what's important for you guys as listeners, so that we know what to carry on putting out, what you find helpful and useful And it seems that learning management is becoming more of a topic. And when I ran the survey in a recent webinar, I ran on this topic, we were looking at why is that such a hot topic, really? And there were lots of very current issues for people, a lot of which, of course, is related to keeping people engaged in a hybrid working environment. And the fact that how do we train people when actually for all intents and purposes quite a lot of training or learning was face-to-face and that's gone all out of the window. So we've moved to a virtual approach and how do we make sure that that actually is useful, is relevant and what really is a learning culture anyway? So it's an area that I've um, just done quite a lot of research in so I have to say I wanted to go and look into this and I got lots of the statistics and information I'll share, we'll put on the show notes Most of it's from the CIPD and there's some great resources as ever there. Shout out to their research there that I took many statistics from. And one of the things that I found quite eye opening when I was looking at this, because in terms of what I want to run through in this podcast is just define what we mean by learning culture. So if you're thinking about doing this yourselves, understand what what a learning culture might be really understanding if you want to improve learning in your organisation, how might you define and set one up for yourself How do you get your organisation to value and prioritise learning? And as ever, try to make it a little bit practical. The beauty of this is, of course, that I've actually just recently run a webinar on this. I've also got some relevant stats from more than 100 people professionals who attended the webinar. And uh, and it's also useful maybe to share that with you as an audience to see whether what other people who joined us were reporting on this and whether or not this is the same for you. So we started off, though, thinking, why is it important to focus on learning? And of course, some of it's about the virtual environment. Some of it's about employee engagement. But also, when I looked at the research, which obviously was pre-COVID, this was quite a startling statistic. And it showed that fewer than half of UK employees feel that their job offers them good opportunities to develop their skills. So less than 50% of people feel 
that they develop their skills in their job. I thought that was really quite shocking because I would think it's a fundamental part of most roles, particularly because it's not like business is standing still. We're required to learn and change all the time, particularly if you look at what's happened over the last six months. Um, And I was interested in that. And I don't know whether that's perception, of course, because do they feel they're not getting formal training because what they really expect is formal training? Or is it genuinely that people don't feel they're growing? Because that is a bit of a challenge when we look at employee engagement. The other findings were that uh, case studies suggest that learning provision is rarely fit for purpose when implementing new technologies. So a lot of what people are being provided with, they don't necessarily think that the technologies give them what they want. Um, And I've been looking at lots of the thought leaders out there. I had David James on a number, in fact, right at the start of the podcast. I know he's always talking about learning at the point of need. So maybe rethinking how we provide learning, especially if it's digital learning. This is one, if you're a learning and development practitioner listening to this, only a third of learning and development practitioners feel they have successfully developed a positive learning culture, despite almost all of them wanting to deliver that. So that was interesting too. So all of those, I think, are key. Those were around before, and let's couple in with that, that hybrid and remote working requires us to develop new skills quickly and to provide people with development in a format that is different to how we provided it previously, and that development is a key aspect of employee engagement and making people feel valued. So how would we define a learning culture? Well, the definition that I'll go with here is an environment where learning is not only embedded, but it's encouraged across every level of the organisation. And that becomes a critical point, particularly when I looked at the feedback that I got from the people joining my webinar on this. And the way in which you might add to that is it's about saying, is my organisation supporting individual learning and transformation? Are they allowing them to use that knowledge to actually shape strategy and process? So there's a purpose to that learning. And you can see a bit like an objective, we can see it aligning with the overall purpose and goals. Are we encouraging teams to learn and reflect on their work? And again, using that to influence strategy and process change. So the learning that people are are taking, it's it's useful. It's being utilised in some way. And are people able to learn from the wider organisation and key decision makers? And also, can people take risks? Is it okay for people to be able to make mistakes? And there's a a culture where self-reflection is something that's normal and useful. So that's something, if you have that going on in your organisation, Based on the statistics, when I asked the people who came on my webinar this morning, you're pretty lucky if that is going on in your organisation because very, very few people actually felt, I think something like 4% of those students felt that they had pretty much got a learning organisation going on in their, in their, in their organisation. The other options that I asked people was, did they feel they had almost got a kind of, you know, they were close to a learning culture? Did they feel they had pockets of learning or not really? And the results that came out was that 18% said almost. So actually, we're talking 22% of those respondents, and it was about 100 people, they felt that they had almost or they'd got a level of learning culture in their business. The largest proportion felt they had pockets. And if you've got pockets, it's not a culture, is it? Because it's not endemic, but they obviously had areas of good practice. So that was almost 60% said they had pockets. And 20%, as many in the top ones, didn't really think they had at all. So that's quite insightful, isn't it, in terms of 
what's going on. And if you feel the same way, don't worry, um, you're representative in terms of that. And if you feel definitely or almost, then well done, you're in that top 20%. So why should we build a, you know, a business case for a learning culture? And this is key, actually, because if we're talking about things at a cultural level, you need to have the endorsement from above. Otherwise, it becomes undermined and it isn't going to become cultural. So CIPD research suggests correlational links between a learning culture and growth, profitability, transformation and productivity. It also suggests that people will be motivated to transfer learning to others, which is useful. It can impact through knowledge sharing, can impact employee skills and organisational performance and job satisfaction, commitment and turnover. So really actually similar to engagement. If you looked at the things where you say, what's the benefit of employee engagement? Those would be the sort of business benefits we'd expect to see. Not really surprising when you think that um, opportunities to learn and grow are things which are often identified as indicators of whether or not we've got an engaged organisation. So it's an indirect correlational um, correlational model as it's always the challenge with us in L&D it's not a direct link to the bottom line necessarily however many people do feel that it's a bit um, short term really to think that it's just a cost it's a, a luxury to have learning nowadays I mean just think yourself how much have you learned over the last six months the people who are listening you've learned all about brand new employment law furlough schemes zoom skills there's been loads of things that we've learned uh, and that's just in order to survive, frankly, to be even faintly productive over the last few months. So there's lots of ways in which we, we need to learn. It really isn't a luxury. It's a survival as much as anything. But there are many things that, that actually damage or block a learning culture. And again, I went to the colleagues. So if I was to get you to reflect and listening to this, if you think of your organisation, what are blockers to that learning culture in your opinion? And the sort of things that the number one thing that came through was an interesting one, and that was time. People felt that they didn't have the time or that um, employees perceived that they didn't have the time to learn. And that was one of them. And the other one was management sponsorship. And when we dug into that, if you think about it, that's probably the wrong way around. Because you don't have sponsorship um, or buy-in from the top, and that means we haven't got a learning culture into the fact that there is a value to something, it's not a luxury, then what that hap happens is it's not seen as a priority. And if it's not a priority, people don't feel that they can apply time to it. They can't um, add time to it. So therefore, that actually really pushes it back and causes it to be an issue. And it's not about not having the time. It's about the fact that they just... Um, are not given the support to consider it to be important enough to give it the time. So it becomes a prioritisation, a, pri a point of priority. Now, the other things that can make a difference there, I've talked about support from senior leaders and line managers and also leading by example. Also, you can find that if you've got a very complex organisation or processes or bureaucracy, then that can mean that sort of the subtle organisational learning, which is often just so important, may just restrict information sharing, collaboration, where we can learn from each other. There is a risk, I think, with the virtual environment as well, where people are not getting the cross-functional mixing that we might have had as well, which could hinder some of the social learning collaboration. One interesting one, which surprised me in the research, was the fact that there was some school of thought that said that 
if you had people who are already very self-sufficient learners, and I think of people like web developers or the, you know, d- developers, they're learning all the time. They can't do something on their code. They just go and Google the answer or go to a forum. They're very, um, very self, self-sufficient, empowered learners. You found that some of these people who are actually quite used to learning for their job and, and do it business as usual, if they then had learning sort of thrust upon them, then they didn't necessarily buy into it. So that had mixed effects, which is interesting, not one I'd necessarily thought about. Sometimes you think that providing people with opportunities for learning or training is a positive. Not always. It it actually almost made some people more passive. And I think that is a link then thinking about the quality of what we offer. And so remembering that formalising or prescribing learning is not the same as, as culture. Let's face it, making people do GDPR training or financial services compliance training isn't the same as having a learning culture. That is quite different. I mean, and then the other one is, what's the difference between training and learning? You know, is learning an output of training or not necessarily? Uh, So there's a little bit of a philosophical one that we can think of there too. So all of those might be things that if we want to encourage a learning culture in our organisation, maybe thinking about have we got any of these blockers? The most important one, of course, being sponsorship. Um, in terms of a culture, because that can really undermine it. So I then went on to ask the attendees of my webinar, what sort of um, learning was most common in their organisations? And we just had six options here, and it was quite interesting, the the outcome. So the number one one learning that people described as happening, so 68% of them said that this was happening, they could choose more than one response. 68% said that people were actually learning on the job, but they expect formal development. So in other words, they were learning, they just didn't recognise it. So maybe this comes down to manager skills or people reflecting and realising how much they've learnt over a period of time. 45% said that a lot of it was tick box compliance. So it's the the e-learning that doesn't necessarily add value. It's e-learning we have to do as opposed to the e-learning we want to do. And then other things were about um, about 40% had active problem solving, self-teaching, collaboration. Um, 29% said they had loads of content, but low take up. So that's interesting, isn't it? Why is that? Because people aren't motivated? Because they don't have the time? Because it's the wrong content? Or is it that they're just having this data that's thrust at them and they need to have the information just when they need it, rather than um, just a, a list of courses? Interesting. So, and then 5%, which is just a handful of people, said that they had a sophisticated 70-20-10 approach where 70% of it's on the job learning, 20% of it's peer-to-peer learning, and 10% of it is sort of formal learning. So again, interesting food for thought. Maybe have a think about what learning is going on in your organisation. Is it more compliance or is it on the job learning? Do we just need to encourage people to reflect a bit more to realise they really are learning and um, and maybe they, they you have more of a learning culture than you might think? So then going on to assess our current culture. Well, the CIPD recommend that you look at a learning culture at three levels, organisational, team learning and individual learning. So at an organisational level, it's a bit like if any of you listened to the um, a previous podcast I've done, which was on OD strategy. It's saying, have you got a strategy? So have you got a clear vision for learning that's supported by leadership and aligned with business strategy? To get a culture, there's got to be a link to it. Then it's thinking about if you have that in place and you've got learning systems and processes, 
Is the content relevant and is the way in which it's delivered supportive of learning, whether it's different learning styles or different timeframes, or is it just, you know, is it very old school or is it actually something that's really up to date and relevant? You've identified, let's say, what a new manager in your organisation needs in terms of skills and knowledge, and you've got different modules and items of learning that can be provided just in time when they need it. The other one I mentioned earlier at an organisational level is risk and experimentation encouraged. Is learning invested in, in terms of time and resources? So is the message there that it's a priority? And really, is learning seen as passive, compliance driven, or is it available at the point of need? So those are areas you can reflect in terms of your organisational um, structure and how um, the culture is going to be led at an organisational level. We can then chunk it down and look at it from a team or I would say a manager level. So this is where we'd say, do your line managers buy into and support time that's spent on formal or informal learning? So do you have their buy-in? On top of that, I suppose if you don't have their buy-in, is that because they have never received adequate development themselves? Now, I wrote an article on LinkedIn recently about this. It is shocking our track record in the UK in particular for line management skills skills development. Um, most line managers, the majority I think, don't feel they've had adequate development. And then you couple this in with the fact that they're thrust into virtual management. Many people really don't feel they've got the skills. So thinking about that, have they got that adequate development themselves? Are managers prepared to be role models uh, to encourage learning as business as usual? So are they really keen to role model learning they do it they take it seriously themselves and of course if they haven't been developed they're less likely to and do they possess the coaching skills and motivation to support self-discovery to help their staff think well what have you learned look how much you've come on how much have you developed so that's going to affect your culture the way in which your line managers operate on a day-to-day basis with people and you know do they give people the time and value time spent on training And then finally, at an individual level. So do you have individuals who are aware of, if you've got these learning opportunities, are people aware of them? Uh, And do they therefore feel empowered if they are aware of them? Are they allowed to access them or do they think they've got to get lots and lots of levels of sign off to be able to do that? It's very hard to hold people accountable for their own development if they can't access it. Uh, But really, accountability is one of the great switches. If you go, you're accountable for developing and demonstrate what you've learned here. So is that accountability out there? Do people know where learning content can be found? And, you know, is it well communicated? Is it well organised? Is it easy for people to access learning? Or is it buried away in lots of spreadsheets and um, and, and, uh, folders in your main shared drives? And again, is that, if that development is there, is it seen to be relevant, timely and of value? And the other thing to think about is, do they have awareness about how they learn best? So some people might prefer self-study. Um, some people really want to talk to others. Are they able to access opportunities that fit their personal way of learning? Um, and again, things like active learning, I think at the moment there's less incidental active learning unless maybe you formalise collaboration conversations or you're using collaboration tech. So have you got the facilities there set up for people to be able to work with that more easily. When I was asking people on that, it was interesting to see what types of learning are most common in terms of what people are doing. And I asked about what sort of learning is readily available to people. And we had a real spread. 
and we'll make some of this available. I'll probably write a blog on this as well. But the vast majority that everybody seemed to have that was made available was compliance type learn training. And let's face it, that's not really learning. In my opinion, it isn't. I'm not saying that I'm sure that I'm probably speaking out of turn, but it's not the same as um, you know, learning about something that's going to develop your skill. It's doing something for the benefit because people have to, not necessarily because it's going to raise their skills. Um, so that was the vast majority. I'll probably get shouted down by lots of people there. So that was 75% said that that was readily available. So health and safety, GDPR, etc. Um, management training was the next area that perhaps was available to people, which was interesting considering the stats on management training. Then it was more things like old school. This was actually about there was more face-to-face or remote formal behavioural training. 50% of people felt they had that sort of type training. And then other things like mentoring. This entered into a big conversation about mentoring being an important area, manager coaching being an area for development. Um, an area actually that I will put some thought into putting a podcast out there on because there are lots of people who are really trying to set up mentoring schemes at the moment, which makes total sense with this uh, new way of working. Other things, lunch and learns were topics, external webinars. So there's a real range of things that people are using across the piece. There was a sense that some people were saying they didn't want any more webinars, but then they their point was that maybe it was the type of webinars people have had, so they'd maybe been put off by too many dry webinars. So it's interesting for you to reflect on what type of learning is readily available in your organisation. Are there lots of varieties and is it really encouraged and how can you come up with, with more And then just wrapping up, really, moving through in terms of where we can and what we can do from this, I looked at some information which was quite interesting about usefulness of training uh, relative to the training that people have received. And again, this was some research I came across, which is about untapped potential in terms of UK skills. And what was interesting was that certainly things like coaching and job rotations came up as really quite infrequent but massively developmental for people. 94% found them really, really useful, but just 6% of people were getting them. And then more common was on-the-job learning and training, that was pretty useful. Um, 36% of people were getting that. Online learning didn't come out too badly. People felt it was uh, about, 88% of it was useful. So actually generally, most of the learning people found that they thought was useful. Unfortunately, I'm going to sock in it to the compliance guides again. Induction, health and safety or compliance was the lowest one in terms of usefulness, but still 63% of people found it useful. So really what they were saying is that people do find learning and development useful. We know also it links to engagement um, and many other uh, aspects in terms of potential productivity and performance. So it is key to do it. It's worth using. It. It's worth us putting the effort into doing it and thinking about lots of various ways in which people can can have it provided to them to help them learn and grow and uh, you know keep on moving and, and feeling fully engaged in our organisation. So really wrapping up in terms of practical learning takeaways, my suggestions are if you want to evaluate your learning culture and perhaps polish it a little bit. First of all, step back and evaluate the overall learning environment that exists already. So I went through those points we need to look at as, you know, is the culture there? Is the leadership supporting it? Consider how if you want to make it meaningful, A, get the leadership to support it and B, get people to understand why they're doing it. It's about aligning the need to learning for learning to business need, to business performance, to people's performance objectives. Make sure it's linked together. Consider how varied and learning content, maybe how you can enrich that learning content. Can you have and make it more, more varied? 
Also consider, is it prescribed or is it available at the point of need? So other ways in which it could be more useful, maybe consult your stakeholders and ask them how useful the learning is available to them or how they want. So ask them what learners actually want or need. Think about how you can maybe refresh, revitalize, normalize or incentivize learning. And actually, if you do nothing, just start really simple. How can you encourage people to maybe reflect and review what they've learned over the recent months and how they can take it forward into the future? Because often it's quite good to look back and think how far you've come. You don't realise you're growing at the time. In fact, it can find, feel really difficult and tough at times. So you start simple and then you can reflect and review. So I hope you found that um, thought-provoking, please do get in touch and let us know what other topics you'd like me to run podcasts on. It's really, really helpful to know what people find useful and I'll happily put content together that's aligned with where people are going. The messaging that I've heard recently is actually people are moving on to things about how can we engage people, how can we do things like mentoring schemes to enrich our workplace, particularly as it is in this hybrid and virtual working environment. I'll put a quick plug out for the management training as well that we're running and that's uh, launching on the 2nd of November which actually I think as this goes out you'd have to move quickly it probably will be full but we will run a second cohort so we are running virtual management development for people a number of cohorts has been very very popular but um, so we will put more of them on so check out our website for that because half the battle with it is our managers haven't got the skills and don't recognize how important learning is and maybe how well you can do it virtually so think about that in terms of your learning culture and actually um, if you are looking at enriching your performance management or your learning management Actus has now branched out into the learning management space. We've got some really interesting e-learning. Um, it's not compliance, actually, because that's not our strength area, but we have got compliance for those who need it. So do feel free to get in touch if you want to explore consultancy or any other area in the area of learning development. We've been expanding a lot. We've got a great new team in that area, and it's quite nice to get back into something that I've always been passionate about. Anyway, enough about that. It's been great having you join us this week. I hope you got value out of this week's HR Uprising podcast. If you did, do please consider giving us a review, linking in, telling your colleagues and suggesting new topics because I'm only going to carry on doing this as long as it's adding value to people and it's always useful to know what the challenges are so we can try and come up with stuff that's going to be useful. So many thanks for listening and hope to um, join, hope you join me again next week. Many thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 